All right, we'd like to uh, welcome you guys to today's uh, podcast with Orion, Rise Up with Orion. And this is our podcast that uh, we are putting out there to help people engage in their own health and wellness and increase what you know so that you can do, do more for yourself. And today we have with us physical therapist Mark Flinders. He is a physical therapist at uh, Mountainland Physical Therapy in Clinton, Utah, and we really appreciate him coming today to share with us his expertise. So Mark, before we get started, I want you to just share a little bit about yourself and maybe why you're qualified to be the expert here with us today. Okay. No, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So like Ann mentioned, I'm a physical therapist. I'm actually also a certified athletic trainer, so I do a lot with sports injuries on the field, uh, training and taking care of injuries, and then I've also gone on and done some sports uh, medicine specialist where I'm a sports clinical specialist through the American Physical Therapy Association. There's just maybe a few thousand of us across the United States that have those credentials. So I've been practicing for 20 years uh, as far as a physical therapist and doing athletic training. So I've been working with patients this entire time. I've worked with Patients from as young as two to three months old up to 103. I've worked with athletes that have been professional athletes through college levels, high school, and all the way down to our recreational kids and our weekend warriors. So I've seen a lot over the last 20 years as far as sports injuries go and, and doing rehab and getting patients back to where they need to be. I think that's awesome. And that goes right along with what we're titling today's podcast, which is stay in the game. And I thought you'd be perfect for this. Generally, right now, it is spring full of all sorts of sports and competitions and events. And yes. unfortunately, right now, we're on pause and we're all waiting anxiously to be able to re-engage. But actually, as part of this whole COVID thing, um, I'm seeing a lot more of the weekend warrior type athletes, right? A lot of people out on the trails and jogging around. And so... Yep. Even if we're not in a competition, we're still being active. And, and this information, I think, really applies to what we're working on even still. Yes. So yeah. I want to ask you, Mark, what is it? Um, tell me why you decided to uh, go into physical therapy. What about this field uh, took your interest? So when I was, was in college and trying to decide what I wanted to do, my mom uh, was a nurse at the time, and she worked in a in a kind of a care center, a skilled facility where they had a lot of patients that had had knee replacements and hip replacements and different stuff like that, couldn't go home yet. And she just told me when she was like, I think you would make a good physical therapist. You have kind of the personality for that. She's like, I really think you should look into that. And, you know, at the time, I really didn't know too much what physical therapists did. Um, you know, in high school and stuff, we always took care of our own injuries and different stuff. So I went over and met with the physical therapist and kind of looked and saw what they did and started volunteering some time and it worked into a job and fell in love with it and ended up getting school done and going to the University of Oklahoma and doing physical therapy school and never really looked back and just kind of took off and went with it and then when I was in therapy school we had the opportunity our last semester to take an extended class of sports injuries if we wanted to and so I did that and it opened up a bunch of different clinical sites as far as going and working with college teams and professional teams and stuff like that. So I did that route. And then when I graduated, got into the orthopedic and sports medicine, uh, physical therapy levels and have just kind of continued on for the past 20 years. 
Wow, that's great. I love that. And I know you're an expert. I see you around the community and uh, doing a lot of good for a lot of athletes, both student athletes and adults and, and rehab. So I think that's wonderful. So tell me, um, as, tell me a little bit about physical and therapy in general and maybe what, a, what your goal overall is as a physical therapist. Okay. So physical therapists, really what our, what our job, what our goal is, is to take patients that have had some type of deficit or dysfunction in their life. And that can be due to disease factors. It can be following an injury. It can be following surgery, an accident, all sorts of different things. And really what our job is, is to determine what is causing the patient's problems, what we need to do in order to remedy those problems and help things start to heal properly and really restore for them their full function, whether that's you know, motion, strength, balance, stability, whatever it is, we focus a treatment program specifically designed to their deficits to get them back doing what it is they want to do, whether that's running or skiing or you know, just being able to lift their groceries out of the trunk of their car without pain, just to restore that full function back to the patient. That's our, that's our main goal. Okay. And so, and why is it, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's struggling with that, if you're having pain when you're getting the groceries out of the car, you're not able to function like you want. Um, how would a seeking help from a physical therapist vary from maybe you're reaching out to a chiropractor? So the difference you're going to see is chiropractors are trained extensively to work on issues of the spine, whether that's neck or low back or whatever it is that way. A physical therapist is trained more specifically over the entire body. Not only do we get training on how to take care of back injuries and stuff that way, we also deal with the extremities. So shoulders, elbows, knees, ankles, the whole thing. And I think one of the differences, we look at the body as a whole where, you know, problems in the hamstring can affect the back and different stuff like that. Whereas sometimes others just maybe get focused on, in on one area. So whenever we have patients that have more of those musculoskeletal problems, that's when we really like to see them in therapy because that is our, our ability to treat. And you know, in my humble opinion, aside from orthopedic surgeons, I think physical therapists have as much or more knowledge of anybody in the medical field as far as the musculoskeletal system, how it works, how it functions, what deficits, you know, when you have a deficit in one area, how it affects another. So we really use that extensive knowledge to kind of do a whole body approach when we treat our patients. At least that's how it should work. Great. So if I'm like an athlete and I have um, a recurring injury or some, some pain that's impacting my performance, I can go to like an orthopedic doctor maybe or go to the doctor. Um, and sometimes I refer to PT or sometimes they won't. Is it ever appropriate to just reach out to a physical therapist on your own without doing the doctor visit first or being referred? Yeah, it's it's very appropriate. You know, here in Utah, we actually have an, an, a direct access state, which means you can go see just a physical therapist without a doctor's referral. The only problem we run into is a lot of times for insurance reasons, they require, the insurance requires a doctor's you know, prescription in order for them to pay for the visit. But a lot of times physical therapists will do, you know, a free screen evaluation on you. We have an open door policy here for the athletes we take care of at the high schools and different stuff where they can come in and we'll take a look for free the first time to see what's going on. 
and then we can direct you which way it needs to go. Uh, I've had patients before where they've come in and I, you know, I can tell right away that they've torn their anterior cruciate ligament in their knee. And it's very easy for us to make the referral to the proper orthopedic surgeons, you know, who specialize in this and, and can get you steered that way. It, we can do it on any type of problem in the body. I would, what I would do is I would just maybe reach out to a local therapist and just say, hey, this is what I've got. What do I need to do in order to come in and be seen and find out really the insurance restrictions are kind of the biggest stuff. But most of the time they'll do those, those free screens. Like I say, we do them for high school and we do them for youth sports activities. So I have people in here all the time that will call and say, can you take a look at this and tell me what you think? Sometimes it takes us, you know, two minutes to be able to diagnose something. Other times it may be a little more complicated, but we can steer you to the right professional that you need to see once we've taken a look. Uh, that's nice to know. I've always wondered that, you know, sometimes you're not getting where you need to sometimes, or you just want a different opinion or talk to another specialist. So. Yeah. And it's very appropriate if you go see your physician and you feel like you want some therapy to, you know, to say, hey, I want you to refer me to a physical therapist. You're the one paying for it. It's not them. And, and if you feel like that's the way you need to go, then you can just request that they give you that referral and then you can go see whatever physical therapist you would like. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And some would some, you know, I know some people go to the doctor and they'll talk surgery and maybe they want to try physical therapy before surgery. Is that ever a preventative route to surgery? Yes, it, it can be. As long as we're not dealing with something where we've got maybe like a complete rupture in a, in a tendon or a ligament or something like that. A lot of times we can rehab people and get them away from that surgery. There's of course, like I said, instances where, where we can't. And it's funny with the COVID-19 issues going on right now, we're actually seeing a lot of people pre-surgical because they've, you know, they've eliminated elective surgeries right now. I have several right now that need rotator cuff repairs and knee replacements and different stuff like that, that they can't have them for, you know, several weeks, if not a month or two. So the, the surgeon has them in here so that they don't lose motion and strength and everything else. So there are times where we can, we can get a person back completely without having surgery. Other times we have to go hand in hand with the surgical procedure. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. That's great information. Okay, so let's talk about these tissue injuries a little bit. Um, tell me what, what are the types, maybe what are the most common type of tissue injuries and what... What's the difference between some of them? Okay. So our two types of injuries that we normally see in the, in the body, we're going to see ligament injuries, or we're going to see more of a muscle tendon injury, a, a soft tissue injury. So both are considered soft tissue, but they have distinction. So a ligament is what connects bone to bone. It helps you find them around joints, hooking joints together. And when we damage those ligaments, when we create the micro tearing or complete ruptures or different stuff like that, then we consider that a sprain. So anytime you hear somebody saying, I sprained my ankle, they've damaged the ligaments in the ankle. When we're dealing more with muscles and tendons, tendons attach muscles to bones and help move the joint. The ligaments help provide stability to the joint. The tendons and muscles help provide mobility to the joints. Then we're dealing with strains when we get into issues of, of tearing of tendon and muscle injury. So sprains and strains, they're both soft tissue injuries but we treat them differently. Whereas for ligaments, we're trying to regain good solid stability. For our tendons and muscles, we're trying to get them moving and get the flexibility in them to allow mobility. So they, they can be treated differently and it's different exercises and different techniques that we might use 
uh, for different things. Muscles and tendons have better blood supply, so they seem to heal a little bit quicker, a little bit better, where ligaments have a poor blood supply, so sometimes they can take longer. And it allows us to use our manual techniques and the skills we've, we've trained for and learned over the years to help us know how to implement what we need to do for one type of injury versus another. So just when you, you know, when we talk about injuries, just because the tissue is injured doesn't mean there isn't different ways to heal that tissue as well. And that's one important thing to, to keep in mind when you're doing exercises and doing therapy is to make sure we're trying to help it heal and do the proper things for it because you can re-injure or damage something just as easily by doing improper activities as you can by helping it heal by doing proper activities. Okay, so when you when you experience a strain or a sprain, what's kind of the first first thing you ask us to do? I think you mentioned I'd always known about rice, but you added <laughs> a few added other a letters. Key. Yep. So so nowadays we see what's it used to be rice. Rice is rest, ice, compression, and elevation. But a lot of the athletic training now we've gone to what's called priced. So P-R-I-C-E-D. So protection, rest ice, compression, elevation, and then drugs as needed, whether that's for pain control or anti-inflammatory medications to decrease inflammation. So a lot of times what we're doing now is we're trying to protect those joints and those injured areas early on to prevent re-injury. One of the worst things you can do is to take something that's already damaged and not let it heal properly and damage it again and damage it greater than the first time. That's why you see people after surgeries, you know, they have a rotator cuff repair, they're in a sling for four to six weeks. It's to protect that tissue and allow it to heal. Because if you damage that surgically repaired tissue, you're not only back to square one, you're back to square zero because you just damaged everything that the surgeon reattached. Now that area is damaged and they have to kind of shorten up the tissue even more to get it to reattach the second time. So when we're dealing with that, we want to, usually when you have the sprains and the strains and the different soft tissue injuries, you can expect uh, possibly some swelling, redness, bruising in the area. You can get heat. You can get um, pain, of course, and then you can get limited movement function or limited stability out of that joint. If you've ever had a really good sprained ankle, you know how big they can swell up and it hurts to walk and it hurts to stand and it hurts to move. So all of that's related to that soft tissue damage. So by using the, the techniques, um, I really like compression to help push fluid out. Um, I use ice, I use elevation, but then we can also protect them. We can put them in a, in a splint boot or a brace or something that will protect that joint and provide increased stability and protection for it while the tissue is healing and it helps us to avoid that secondary tissue damage that can occur quite easily if we're not doing the proper stuff for it in the first place. How do you know if you're going to... Um how do you avoid hurting it then? I guess it's the, it's the protection. How do you not yeah. screw that up, I guess? So the protection, but also you need to listen to your body. Uh, you know, my generation, it was all about no pain, no gain. But a lot of times pain's your body's way of saying, stop it, stupid, you're hurting me right now. So you need to listen to those, those pain levels. So if you, let's say you have a, an ankle injury and, you know, you, your pain is on a zero to 10, you're down like a two, three most of the time. If you go out and you go for a big walk or you try and run or jump and that really spikes the pain up into that seven, eight range, you're doing too much and you're gonna damage that tissue. 
or if you go out and you go for a long walk and you feel good that day, but then the next day it swells up and it gets sore again, you know you've overdone it. The problem with overdoing it is you don't know you've overdone it until you've overdone it. And all you can do is learn from that mistake and be like, okay, I need to do less next time. And then you have to get back into the, that, you know, the rice and the, the rest and the ice and the compression and all of that and get those symptoms gone again. So listen to your body. Your body is, it's an amazing thing. Pain receptors are there for a reason. It's not there for us to ignore. It's there for us to listen to our body. And as long as you're exercising or, or moving or whatever it is you're doing, within that tolerance, you're usually pretty safe. It's when you get outside of that, that good pain tolerance or you feel like you're doing stuff where all of a sudden now the, the swelling is increased or your weight bearing is bothering you or you feel something feeling like it's going to give way or different stuff like that, that's when you're pushing too hard and you need to back off and reassess what you're doing and do less the next time. Okay. Now, what if you haven't actually had an injury yet? Like for instance, say you've never have actually sprained your ankle, but after a long walk or a run, you notice pain or you notice it giving you trouble during the activity. What does that, that's not necessarily overdoing it or is it? No, it, it could be the fact that maybe you have some weakness in that area. Maybe you have, you can have some chronic um, kind of deterioration over time. You know, we get a lot of problems with um, people tearing their rotator cuffs with my patients that do a lot of overhead repetition stuff. So like plumbers who are putting pipes in overhead, electricians who are constantly, you know, screwing stuff in overhead. My guys that do drywall, different stuff like that. Any type of stuff where you're constantly putting stress and strain on that body part, you can start to have some wear and tear over time. So it could be something as simple as, you know, it's just a kind of a chronic condition that the more you work it, the more sore it gets. It could indicate that you're really tight in that area, that you haven't been doing flexibility training. And so when you go out and walk and do stuff too long, the tendons and the muscles get irritated because they don't have that flexibility and that good range of motion to move. So they get stressed easily and more quickly than they should. It could be indication that maybe we've got some type of, of bone rubbing where we maybe develop some bone spurs and you've got some, some problems that way. If you're doing the same activity all the time and you're getting those same symptoms, usually it indicates some type of chronic overuse type problems that then you could definitely go in and be looked at. It may be something as simple as strengthening stuff that's weak, um, you know, stretching stuff that's tight, or it could be more severe where you've got some type of underlying problem that is continuing to you know, damage or irritate that tissue that we need to get taken care of on a larger basis. Okay, but either way, whether it's an injury or just a chronic, uh, like a, a pain that just is appearing, the price yeah. is a good first reaction, the rest and ice and all yes. of that. And then maybe seek more help beyond that, depending on the severity. Yeah, if you're having a hard time self-controlling or self-managing your symptoms, then that's when the, the next step up the professional ladder is warranted because you don't want to take something that may be a simple fix and let it become a chronic condition where now you're looking at maybe a surgical fixation or a long-term rehab type situation. So it, if you can't control it on your own with the stuff that, you know, the protection, the rice, the compression, the, the meds, different stuff like that, then that's usually indicative there's maybe something more sinister underlying that you would want to have looked at. 
Okay. All right. Doesn't sound very fun, but I know a lot of us deal with those kinds of things for sure. So, well, okay. So tell me really quick about, and maybe it's not really quick, but let's talk a little bit about concussions. Um, I know this is a hot topic in sports, but uh, it's, and it's something you don't really need to know about until you need to know about it. Right. So yes, give us the info. (laughs) That's very true. So um, in my last several years, we've done a lot of concussion training I've been to numerous conferences and and different things and sat with you know the head of the NFL concussion committee and different stuff in meetings Um, concussions is something that's very important you know again in my day it was looked upon as hey get back out there you can play but now we're starting to see the long-term ramifications of these with you know developing you know chronic traumatic encephalopathy and different stuff like that in the brain so really there's no way for us to control the movement of our brain inside of our skull. That is why concussions will always continue to occur in the human population. There's fluid surrounding our brain in there, and when we get a head injury where our head is whiplashed or turned quickly or any type of injury that causes our head to move rapidly, it causes the brain to move inside there. And as the brain moves and slams into the inside of our skull, it can create damage into the brain. It can create bleeding and different stuff that way. Usually what happens is a concussion is we get kind of transient symptoms They kind of come and go and they can kind of develop sometimes they're developed right away sometimes they develop slowly but what happens is chemicals in our brain specifically our sodium and potassium levels in our brain the levels get out of proportion so some go low and some go high and it creates problems in our brain it creates uh, neurological problems so stuff with visual problems Um, balance deficits, dizziness, headaches, all sorts of different stuff like that. It presents more of a neurological problem. And when those chemicals are out of whack, we can continue to have those neurological problems. The nice thing is, is about 85 to 90% of the population over the first several weeks, up to about 21 days, those symptoms, those chemicals usually come back to normal and the symptoms just continue to disappear and there's no long-term lasting effects. What happens though in some percentage of the population is it takes longer for the brain to heal and for those chemicals to come back into normal levels. And that's when we get into more of the chronic problems. Patients continue to have a hard time concentrating. They try and go to school and they have a hard time taking tests and they get headaches more easily and sensitivity to light and different stuff like that. And that's when we have to get in and actually do specific rehabilitation and therapy to kind of get those neurological deficits to decrease. Our other big problem is that for a long time we weren't recognizing the symptoms early enough. So most states, I know here in Utah we do, and I'm pretty sure almost every state now has a state law enacted that says if you suspect uh, a person participating in a sports activity has sustained a concussion, they have to be immediately removed from participation and they cannot go back to play until they have been medically cleared by a medical professional, which is doctors, uh, physicians assistants, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and athletic trainers. You can't take your son down to you know your friend that's a nurse and say, hey, he hasn't had a headache for a few days, can he play? That doesn't fly. They have to have had specific training and concussions. So they have to be removed from play and they cannot go back until they've been cleared. If it's determined that they do have a concussion, they have to go through a return to play criteria protocol 
And for those, it is a minimum of seven days before they can be back playing in a complete game. That's the same whether you play in the NFL, the NBA, or recreation leagues. The state legislatures have taken it out of our hands and made it mandatory that that's what we do. Sometimes it can take longer than seven days. They, it takes 24 hours to go through each step, and there are seven so steps that they have to go through. So when we're talking about stuff like that, it really helps us because then we can really see the progress that the athlete or, this, or the person makes in recovery. Uh, usually we don't need a lot of scans. Um, X-rays and CT scans really only show bleeding in the brain. They're not going to show structural deficits. And really, when you look at concussions, uh, the, the testing comes back negative as far as, you know, physical signs or symptoms of brain damage. Every once in a while, you'll get them in severe ones. But for the most part, you don't see it. So it's, it's watching those neurologic deficits, the eye problems, dizziness, headaches, stuff like that. And then as those resolve, we just gradually progress them back with exercise and activities until they're back to full function. And then we try and return them safely to the athletic field or whatever it is they need to do. Okay. That's, that's really good. I'm wondering, um, so either, either if it's a concussion or if it's maybe a soft tissue injury or, or maybe even a recovery from surgery and we're referred to a physical therapist and you start us down the road of, of recovery, what does rehab typically look like? So depending on how early you start, whether, you know, and what the injury is, rehab is really gonna start with a thorough evaluation on your first visit. If you go to a physical therapist or even a chiropractor for that matter, and you don't feel like they really took the time to look at you and determine what was going on, that could be a red flag and you need to talk to your therapist say, you know, I'd really like you to, to look at this and, and answer your questions. Um, physical therapists are great at answering questions we have more time to spend with you than you did when you're in the doctor's office so it's easy for us to answer your questions then usually what progresses is we usually progress you from easy general range of motion and strengthening exercises and progress you along a path to where you're doing more advanced strength training balance training different stuff like that i always tell my patients that i want to have my hands on them every day that they're in the clinic with me whether that's doing soft tissue work or stretching or doing joint mobilizations or whatever it is that I can do physically with my hands to help return them back to function I want to do. So if you're going to a therapist or a chiropractor or something like that and you really don't get that hands-on experience from the, from the person giving you the care, that's a red flag. And I definitely call them out on that and say, hey, you know, why are you not stretching me or why are you not doing this or why are you not doing that I can't tell you the number of patients I've had come to me over the years where I go to work on them and they're like what are you doing and I'm like well I'm going to do this well they never did that at the last place I just went in and exercised and they heated me up and they put the electrical stimulation on me and then I went home you could really do that at the gym you're there to get that one-on-one -on -one hands-on time with the therapist so make sure you're getting that and make sure that the stuff that you're doing is is designed around what they determined at the evaluation was your diagnosis and that you're progressing through and you're getting home exercises to do and and everything it's a it's a two-way street so never hesitate to make sure that you question your your caregiver if you feel like there's deficits or problems that need to be remedied okay i like that i like that now you had also said something about not accepting your life in a brace, right? Say it's an ankle brace or a oh, knee brace. Yeah. What 
Tell me about getting out of those things. So we talked about, when we talked about priced, we talked about protection. And, you know, we'll use braces and stuff early on to help people gain stability or maybe get back a little quicker. Um, and it's been my philosophy that I've been trained with over 20 years that if I have an athlete that, you know, they can't do everything they need to do out on the, out on the sports field without a brace, but we can put them in a brace and they can do it fine and safely, then I'll put them in the brace to get them through that season. But I never implement a brace without a plan to get rid of it. Your, your brace should not become your crutch. It shouldn't be, well, I really don't have to strengthen my ankle because I'll just put my brace on every time I go play racquetball or play pickup basketball. Really, your brace should be able to be an adjunct or a bridge to get you from where you are back to full strength and recovery so that you don't need it. So my goal is to always have a plan to get rid of that brace whether it's after the season is over or whether it's after they can do all of the functional tests in the clinic and without the brace and show that they don't have any problems, whatever it is, I like to get them off of that. There are the exceptions that, you know, they just feel better with the brace. You know, it's not that they need it, but for whatever reason, mentally, you know, they just feel like I can do more if I have the brace on just mentally. In that case, you know, great, go ahead. As long as they're passing all the functional tests in my clinic and elsewhere, without the brace, it shows that their, their strength and function is returned. Then if they need that brace for kind of their own mental, you know, stability awareness, that's fine. But I always like to have the body doing what it needs to do rather than the brace doing what the body needs to do. I think that's great information because I think a lot of us do fall into that. We're like, well, <laughs> especially as you get a little older, right? You're like, well, I'll just strap on the brace and continue through my favorite activity. But yeah. uh, sounds like there's a way out of that if uh, if you're willing to put in the work, do the exercises, the strengthening yes, with a specialist. Perfect. Well, Mark, I think we're about out of time for today. You've given us so much great information, and I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us. And um, I, I guess we'd like to welcome everybody back next month when we do our next Rise Up with Orion. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Mark or if you'd like to get in touch with Mark specifically, give us a shout out here at Orion and we can uh, pass on information on how to work with Mark if that's something you're interested in, in pursuing. So thanks again, Mark, for your help today. I really appreciate all of the information you've shared with us. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Okay, everybody have a great day.